It's good to be with you. Um, maybe I should introduce myself a wee bit um, just before I say anything. Um, I suppose first and foremost, I'm, I'm a farmer. Um, that's where I come from the, the countryside. I come from Sarone. I've lived there my whole life um, and um, began life um, farming and went to Bible College in the year 2000. It's my 11 years in a county Baptist church. And now I'm working with Craig Alvin and Baptist and part-time and also doing some work with the Association of Baptist Churches to do encouraging church and evangelism as well. And alongside that, I, I spend one day a week um, counselling as well. I, I work with um, families, work with individuals who are struggling with depression or anxiety or thoughts of suicide. I... Um, also work a lot with, with, with bereaved families as well um, in, in the Relays Cross Community um, group um, in, in Dogan and that I work with as a, as a charity and I volunteer there one day a week. As I suppose come before you today, I, I come to, to share a bit about um, my own story, um, our family story. Um, so I do so, I, I want to also give you some encouragement, some um, practical words of, of of help that, that um, come from God's word and so I want to read just a few verses it's a passage um, in Mark chapter 14 I'm going to read from verse 32 down to verse 42 a little section of, of Jesus struggling before he goes to the cross he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's he knows what's ahead of him and the pain of what's ahead is really weighing very heavy upon him and verse 32 of Mark 14. And they went to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. <coughs> Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came, and he found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. This morning, as I, I share with you, I'm, I'm not going to, to speak about um, mental illness as such, or about the depression, or, <coughs> but I'd like to, to spend a moment to share a wee bit about you, about dealing with loss and dealing with crisis and that loss could be anything it could be a loss of relationship a marriage breakup it could be 
the, the loss of health and the, the, the struggle in, in losing um, just your health and wrestling with, with all of that. It could be a loss of, of a loved one, a bereavement. And really, I suppose the, the impact of that loss on a person's life really depends on how close you were to that person and how you know how it affects you. I mean, in one sense, it's the, the title doesn't really matter when we talk about loss. You know, we, we can say, you know, I've lost a, a family member, I've lost maybe I've lost a mum, or I've lost a granny. But you know what? The title doesn't matter. It's the relationship you have with that person matters. You know, I mean, it could be the case that maybe a granny has raised you and you've got a really close relationship with her and, and the impact of her, her death can absolutely devastate. It's the relationship that, that matters. As I, I share with you, I, I'm going to share some things from the Word of God. I'm going to share some practical advice and help that I find useful. But also I want to share personally as well. And that's where I want to start. I want to let you sort of understand really where I'm coming from. Four and a half years ago, I lost my son. His name was Matthew. He was 17 at the time, just about a month before his 18th birthday. He'd been struggling with depression for, for a number of months. It's been a very, very dark place. And was it the way I've always worded it is this, that depression took his life. It took me a long time to be able to say that Matthew died by suicide. I still am not keen on that phrase, but I say it now because I want to, to try to, to break down some of the stigma associated with, with mental illness and, and suicide. Matthew was really, really sick. He was in a really, really dark place. And that's why I say depression took his life. For us as a family our whole world simply fell apart. Everything that we sort of held on to mattered no more. I mean, our life stopped. I remember <coughs> saying to Suzanne, my wife, no, we're never going to smile again. We're never laugh again. I'm never ever going to preach again. And I said, it's, it's, it's all done. And I suppose reflecting back on that, I mean, I mean, part of me died that day with Matthew. I'm a different person today. But I have smiled again. We, we do laugh as a family. And I am preaching again. And as I reflect back over that, you know, I'm not quite sure the process of, of what happened to, to get to the place where, you know, as a, as a family, we are laughing and talking and smiling, but I do acknowledge that it was God's help and God's grace. I'm still going through the bereavement of, of a son. I, I know I am. I mean, it's four and a half years ago, but I, I wake up every morning and I, I, I wrestle with it. I, I think about it at night. I, I, I find that... I mean, it's, it's in my mind every single day. I, I, I'm still dealing with it to some extent. I'm not where I was a number of, of years ago, but it's still very much part of, of my life. And I think it always will be. I don't think that's ever going to change. It's something I have to live with. But in those early days, 
early months, back early years to be honest, <coughs> life really came to a standstill for me. I mean that I couldn't pray. I, I really, I really couldn't pray to God at all. In fact, I mean, I just couldn't get the words. My my prayer was, I suppose, which was really is a prayer, was somebody saying to God, you know what? God, I can't pray to you today. And that went on for, for months upon months. But you hear the prayers of everybody else around. Lord, answer their prayers for me. Because I cannot pray to you. Couldn't read my Bible at that stage. What I used to do was put on the, um, the iPad. And on the iPad, the Psalms used to play. And those Psalms used to play back to me. I just used to go to bed at night. And um, I never I didn't sleep. Um, I used to get for, for months on end about maybe one hour sleep a night. And that was that wasn't a, a, the one time you know fall over for ten minutes, wake up, and, and that was that was that went on for months. And the the iPad, just the Psalms playing was the only piece that I could get. I'm trying to get my head around what what happened to us as a family. And as I, I suppose wrestled with that, I mean everything just seemed numb. I know people sometimes talk about you know, going through these difficult times and how God seemed very, very close. To be honest, I actually felt nothing. Absolutely nothing. Everything was just numb. And I, I wrestled with, with, with God. I, I questioned God. I, I struggled. I, I wasn't angry with God. I haven't ever been angry with God over this all. But I, I actually had two thoughts in my head. And I used to bounce between these two thoughts. One of them was that, actually, you know what? Life's one big joke and there's no God at all. I'd be brought up in a Christian home. I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ at 10 years old. I trust him. I, I've taught the Bible. I've preached the Bible. I'm a pastor for many years. I know my Bible pretty well, I think. And then at that moment, I was questioning, is there a God at all? That was one thought in my head. The other thought in my head was that actually there is a God, and I need him more than I've ever needed him. Now, right now. I cannot do without him. And I, I was bouncing back into that thing. These two thoughts, and I, I remember quite clearly sitting in the steps of our house, the front of our house, just by myself. And I, I was wrestling with this, you know. I mean, it's like a big joke, and there's no God. I do, I need God, and I was going back and forth. And in that moment, it wasn't the most spiritual moment in my life, I didn't think. But yet, I do believe, looking back on it now, that the Holy Spirit was at work in me. In that moment, I, I said to God, uh, quite a rational thing, you know what, God, if you're not here, you don't exist then everything is a million times worse. I remember thinking through, I mean, if, if Jesus isn't the Son of God, he didn't come into this world, if he, if he didn't die, it didn't rise again, if there is no resurrection, then everything is a million times worse. There is no hope. There is nothing. And that moment, I remember just saying to God, God, I need you in my life. My family needs you. We need you more than we've ever needed you before. And in that moment, I mean, just somebody to to trust in God. I mean, in one sense, it was it was it was faith. Just simply, God, I need you. Help me through this. And I say, as I reflect back now. You know, through all of that, I mean, I, I have known God's presence. Even though at times, as I said in those days, 
I, I was so numb, I didn't feel anything. The reality of who Jesus is, the reality of the resurrection, that Jesus died and he rose again, the reality that there is eternal life, the reality of, of the gospel, that a salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not by anything that we do, but it's, it's what Jesus done for us on the cross. That he died, he rose, he gives the eternal life. That reality, for me, is everything. Absolutely everything. And so, as I, I reflect back now, and I think that probably the best way to describe it is that the pain of loss hasn't been any smaller. I just have learned somehow to, to hold it any differently. In those early days, like the pain of loss, I held it really close. It was covered my, my head, covered my heart, it covered every part of me. All I could see was the pain of loss. I couldn't see anything else. It, it, it totally sort of covered everything else. Somehow, I, I honestly don't know quite how to explain it, but somehow, I've learned to hold it just a wee bit further away. I always imagine that as a ball, that you know, that we should be held here now. Now I hold it a wee bit further away, so that I can do other things, so that I can see other things, so that I can be involved in other things. And yes, it's never that far away, but somehow able to function just a bit better. I suppose the other way I see it, and I maybe think quite visually at times, is that I imagine that loss and that grief and that pain in those early days, like standing in the middle of the sea. And just the waves coming at you over and over again. And in those early months and early years, the waves just used to come right over the top of your head and just swamp you completely. And I mean, you're standing with your up, up to your, your chest in water, just constantly getting bombarded. <laughs> Some the, the grief, the pain of loss, something just washing and just completely submerging you. And then somehow, I probably I, I would describe where I am at the moment as I almost had to step close to the shore. And so the waves are still coming, but you know they're hitting me around the knees rather than over the top of the head. And yet every so often. A big wave comes and just knocks me again and completely swamps me again and overwhelms me again. And it's like they've been right back to square one again. And that, that is how I think grief um, tends to, to hit all of us. And I think it how it tends to, to impact our lives. You know what? You're never that far away again. And so as I suppose share that with you, I want to, <coughs> reflecting upon that, I want to say, say a couple of things by way of, of, of help to you. I suppose personal reflections that, that really really come um, from, from God's word. And that's why I read together from, um, from Mark chapter um, 14. And I want to say to, to leave just a couple of, of quick thoughts um, with you in regard to how, how Jesus dealt with what was ahead of him and the pain that was ahead of him. <clears throat> and the first thing I want to, to leave with you is that, that Jesus, when he found himself in the garden of his son, he chose a few close friends and he pulled them around him. He needed help. And again, I want, I want to say that to you. I mean, if you find yourself struggling in this moment, if there, there, 
things in your life, you're dealing with, with, with loss, if you're dealing with, with, with struggle, you're dealing with, with, with depression, if you're dealing with, with anything particularly in your life that is, is getting you down, you cannot do it by yourself. We're, we're not designed to, to be out on our own just by ourselves. We need people around us. We need support. We need help. We need practical help. We need emotional help. We also need spiritual help. We need people around us to come in and just to, to be there alongside, to stand with us. I mean, it's interesting that when Jesus calls these three people around him, he's Peter, James, and John. Three people that he calls. And he says to them, he says, come, you know, I'm, I'm greatly distressed, I'm greatly troubled, I, I need you with me, I need your support, I need your help. The reality is this, and I've done it. See, when you're, you're struggling, you have a tendency to push everybody away. You have a tendency to say, no, I, I, I don't need you, you know, you're, you're, or to be annoyed by people. People really do get on your nerves. Um, and grief is this, this sort of very... Um, powerful way of actually being very honest with people, um, when sometimes you thought you was going to be, be, be quieter or maybe wouldn't, wouldn't be quite so sort of vocal, but in the midst of grief, you're, you're very honest, you, know, you, you don't care how many people you annoy, how many people you hurt, you just say it how it is, and you push people away. I get it, I've, you know, I've done it. And we need people around us, we need everybody around us by the way, you have two or three good friends alongside you, to support you and help you through difficult times. Those friends may change over the years. I mean, I count on one hand the number of people that have been with us as a family through what we've been through. There's some people who've been there for a year or two, some people have been there for a few months, some people have been there at the start and I haven't seen them for, for a number of years now, but they've been the right people at the right time to lend support, to give help. And some of them have given practical help, some of them have given help in helping to understand, some of them have medical help. I mean, getting those right people around you is essential. Allow people to be part of your life. Don't push them away. And they also turn that around and say, look, if you're helping somebody at the moment, if you're there with them, when they push you away, keep going back. It's very easy to, to, to walk away from folk and say they don't want me in their home, they don't want me anywhere around them. It's very easy to say, look, you know, they don't want me, so I'm not going to annoy them anymore. Actually, you know what, they may push you away, but actually they still need you. So keep going back. Give them a bit of space. I mean, to, uh, allow them time on their own as well, but also keep going back and saying that you care, that you love them, that you're there for them, that you can support them. And I mean, Jesus, I mean, he does that. I mean, he chooses some close friends. And also, then, say from that as well that, that Jesus opens his heart, he opens his soul um, to these people, uh, the, the disciples as well. Let me just read again verse 34. He says to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. I mean, Jesus is honest with them. He says, Look, I, I'm struggling here. Jesus says, You know, I, I, I find this really, really hard. I mean, there's a severe anxiety going on in Jesus' life at this moment. I mean, you go to Luke chapter uh, 22 and verse 44, you read there that, that Jesus at this moment, he sweats great drops of blood. Medically speaking, that is a sign of severe, severe anxiety. And this is Jesus, Jesus who's perfect, the Son of God. He is struggling with anxiety. You know, I, know, I know Jesus at another place that says, look, don't worry. 
You know, seek first the kingdom of God. We don't worry about anything. He says that. But I want you to understand there's a difference between medical anxiety and trusting in God. I mean, those old passages on, on, on worry, don't, don't worry. The, the emphasis on all of those passages say that trust in God, trust in Jesus. But all of us, at some point, will struggle with, with anxiety. It's part of how, how we're made. And there is legitimate medical anxiety. If you're facing a really difficult time, if you're, you're facing um, really bad news, you get, maybe get a bad diagnosis um, from the doctor, if you're, you're facing um, the loss of a loved one and you're working through that, there is anxiety that comes with it. That is part of how you're, you're you really self-protection. This, this natural anxiety that, that, that hits you is about you being protected. Because if the full enormity of what is hitting you comes to you all at one time, it literally could destroy you altogether. So that, that, that numbness that I spoke about is, is about protection. That, that, that anxiety that, that makes us you know, step back you know, if we're finding ourselves in a dangerous situation, that, that is about protection. But in the midst of all of that, we can still trust in God. In the midst of, of, of worry and struggling with, with legitimate problems in life, it doesn't mean that we, we can't hold on to God and we can't trust in God. And very often, the Bible talks about having our, our joy in the Lord. You know, we, we just misunderstand us as Christians and we think you know, we've got to be joyful all the time. Let me tell you, joy in the Lord, the Lord looks different in different situations. I mean, in a situation where you know, everything is wonderful and we're maybe celebrating something great in our lives. You know, the, the joy can be very sort of bubbly and we can be shouting, we can be, we can be praising God, we can be singing, we can be dancing, whatever it may be. You know, we can have this, this really outward display of, of, of rejoicing because of the joy of the Lord. But also, in really hard times, in times of great distress, that there can be that very, very quiet, calm peace of God. First, it says that the peace of God that passes all understanding can guard your heart and your mind. That, that peace of God. I, I honestly can say I never really understood that verse until after Matthew died. Because even in the midst of the numbness, in those moments there was, I should say to people, that the pain was unbearable, but the peace is indescribable. That indescribable peace of God. And just that, that quiet holding on to God. I mean, to be honest about this, you know, as, as Jesus was honest to his disciples, he said, my, my, my soul is, is burdened. My soul is, is sorrowful, even unto death. You know, it's okay to admit that, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling with people. In fact, I, I encourage you to do that. If you're finding life hard, say this on the look, that life is hard. Be honest. With people, but also as you're you're honest with, with people, be honest and with God as well. Because the thing Jesus does next is he actually pours out his heart to his Father God. And he tells God how he's struggling as well. I mean, he says in verse thirty-six, "Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Remove this cup from me." I mean, Jesus knew that he was facing the cross. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew what was that entailed. He knew that it was going to be unbearable pain that was ahead. And he says to, to, to God, the Father, he says, look, I really, really don't want to do this. That's what he's saying there. 
He literally said, is there any other way apart from the cross? Is there any other way we can do this? And he is really honest with, with God the Father. And I say to you as well, I mean, when you're going through tough times, I mean, be honest with God. He knows, he knows your heart anyway. Tell him how things are. You know, I have, I suppose, as I reflect back over the last number of years, I mean, there's been times that I have wrestled with, 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 with God over what's happened. I have so many questions. I have so many whys. I have so many ifs. If only this had happened. If only I had done this. If, you know, why, why did it have to happen? Why, why our family? You know, why Matthew? I mean, it, it, Matthew was one of the, the most bubbly personalities. He had so many friends. Everything going from him in his life. I mean, he's the last person to ever think would take depression. Why? And I haven't got the answer to all those questions. I, I do have some medical knowledge now. Um, I'm not going to take time to share with you of, of, of the, the suicide of mind and, and of um, the term that we use called psychiatric that helps to explain the emotional pain that goes through and so on. I, I can explain it medically and, and, and biochemically. I can explain it um, from a, a psychology perspective. I've done a lot of reading and study on this. So I, I have some medical and psychology knowledge of it all. But even with all of that, it, it doesn't actually answer the big question, why? Why Matthew? Why does it happen? You know, if, if I was to go back and even answer those questions, I, I suppose I've come to the conclusion that, that actually, even if I could answer all of those questions, it doesn't change anything anyway. Because the, rea- the reality is this, the biggest thing I live with is the fact that Matthew isn't here anymore. That's the biggest thing I live with. And I'd be honest with God and say, God, you know what? Yes, I have to trust you, but I do not like the situation that I'm in. I do not want this for my family. And that's me being completely honest. And God knows that. I've told them many, many times. But I still hold on to him. I still trust him. Why? Because there is no one else for me to turn to for help. And Jesus does the same, he says to his father. I mean, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising pain. And says, I mean, Jesus, he went to the cross. He went there joyfully in one sense because he knew he was going to bring salvation to the world. But he also went there despising the pain. He went there sorrowfully as well because he didn't want the pain. He didn't want to go through all of that. And he tells God the Father that. And yet as he does so, he fourthly also finally rests his soul on the eternal work of God. And he says in verse 36, Yet not what I will, but what you will be done. And Jesus looks at the eternal work of God and he says, well, this is the means of salvation. Now can I say to you that that Jesus is unique. Jesus is the only one who brings salvation. Jesus is unique. In fact, in going to the cross, you know, he endured physical pain, emotional pain, and spiritual pain. On the cross, he endured our hell for us. He is unique in that. There is nobody else can do that, has done that, ever will do that. He is absolutely unique. But what he did for us on the cross, as he died and he rose, as he took our punishment on himself, as he took the wrath of God on him, as he endured all of that pain on his body, he endured our hell 
for us. As he did all of that, what he did, he, he won us forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. And what that, that means for us is that there is a resurrection for, for all who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. What that means for us is that there is eternity. I say that the one thing that has kept me going in life is the fact that the gospel very clearly says that for anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, that God through Jesus will forgive, He puts the Holy Spirit into their life, and He keeps them for this lifetime and for all eternity. And nothing will be able to take them out of the Father's hand. Nothing. As I look at, think about my son Matthew. Being a, a young boy of six, five, six years old, he put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. He was a strong Christian. He was a strong witness to all his friends. He was involved in the church in Nakani. He, led the, he um, led, led the, the, um, the praise group in Nakani. He led the, the music most Sundays in Nakani. Very strong Christian. But he took depression, he seriously ill. So the illness took his life. But what does it mean? The gospel says very clearly that if you put the trust in me and you save my grace, that God will keep us for all eternity. And so I know that Matthew is in heaven today. Not because of anything he did, but because of what Jesus did for him in saving him and forgiving him. And that is my eternal hope. That is my eternal security. And I know that because God has done the same work in my life, that we will be together one day again. That's what keeps me going. And so I, as I explain that to you, every day of that foundation, that, that eternal foundation that, that gives me help, gives me strength, gives me hope. I say it doesn't answer every question that we, I have on this earth. But it gives me a perspective that enables me to live my life. Enables me to, to look to God, to cry to Him as the one who is over all, the one who is in control, the one who said, God, I need you to help me to live my life this day, this moment. I can't do it without you. And so I would say to you that each one of us here needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. No, but many of you here do know Christ as Saviour. But if you don't, I want to say to you that one of the things that I, I've learned through this, this whole experience is the fact that God the Father loves me more than I've ever, ever realised before. It might seem a very strange thing to say. But that's probably one of the most powerful lessons that I have learned. And let me explain why that my, my mind has wrestled around the love of God. Because I have, I, I, I've looked at it and thought about God's love for me, and not perhaps in the way you might think. You know, if you think, you know, I mean, you might be angry with God or question God loving you when this happens. That was not the, the big struggle I had. Actually, my struggle with the love of God was quite different. It was in the sense that, as I read through the, the Bible, and I only rediscovered really it after Matthew died, that most times when you read about the love of God and in the Bible and you read about Jesus going to the cross, it actually always talks about how the Father sends the Son 
It's God's plan. It's God's way. It's God sending His Son to the cross. You know, we, John 3.16, I mean, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It's the Father who gives the Son. And, and, and this is what bothered me. I, I could not understand how God the Father would give His Son, Jesus, for me. And I really struggled with that. But, and it was the pain of, of, of losing a son. And I, I rest with, God, why would you do that? Why would you give your son? It made no sense to me. And I, I, I thought about it so often. I, I, I've wrestled with it. And I, I thought, how can I make sense of this? No father would ever give their son. I mean, if I could go back and, and change things, you know, I would do whatever needs to be done to have Matthew here today. And I, 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 I go around in circles many, many times thinking, if only I could have done this, if only I had done that, if only I had done the other thing. I could have Matthew here today. That's everything to me. And so just think of God the Father giving his son, not just for people that, you know, liked him, but people actually hated him. That's what the Bible says. We were his enemies, and the Father gives his son. And as I came to a conclusion, and the conclusion I came to was this, that I do not really understand the extent, the enormity, the vastness of the love of God to me. I just don't understand. That was my conclusion. I really cannot get my head around the love of God and I, 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 the conclusion I came to is I can't understand the love of God that well actually my love is, is a father's love is a human love is, is a sinful love it's not perfect God's love is a perfect love it's an absolute love it's an eternal love it's a never ending love it's beyond my comprehension it is a divine love God's divine love for me is beyond anything I can possibly grasp he loves me more than I've even begun to understand in fact, when you go to Ephesians chapter 2, I think it's around verse 6, 5 or 6, it talks about that we get to heaven, that we will spend eternity exploring the richness of God's grace towards us in Christ. It's going to take eternity for me and for you to actually begin to even understand the eternal love of God. We're going to explore it, just that the richness of it all for forever and ever. And if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear the Father's love for you. I look at the cross very differently today than he ever did before Matthew died. I look at the cross not as Jesus dying for us. I look at the cross of the Father giving his son. I see the Father's pain. I feel some of the Father's pain. I'm not sure I feel it all, but I certainly feel some of the Father's pain. As the Father turns his face away from his son on the cross he punished the son on the cross I can't get my head around it but I, I know the pain of losing a son that's how I look at the cross and you know as I sing that song how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure and how, I was once saying how I break the pain of searing loss I mean I sing a song very very differently today the Father's love. And as I said a moment ago, if there's one thing I want you to hear, you know, the, the practical stuff that I've stuck up here behind me, you know, and getting people around you and 
get support and being honest with people and opening up to people and getting having talking to God and being honest with God and all of all of that. And say that you no, know, we need to grasp that we're loved by God. He's the one who works in our life for eternity. That's his heart. That we would be forgiven, that we would know him as Saviour, and that we would not just know sins again, but know what it is to live a life that honours and praises him in this earth. He's the one who is beyond our understanding, and he's the one that has made it simple enough for us to be forgiven, for our lives to be transformed, for us to know salvation. We put our faith and our trust in him. At that simple prayer, say, God, I need you in my life. Forgive my sin. It's all that we need. It's that simple in one sense, and yet it's that complicated in the sense that, you know, we're going to spend forever trying to understand why God would possibly love me. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. Uh, we're just going to close by singing a song, uh, Beautiful Saviour.